Welcome to a brand new episode of Load In, Load Out, a tour story podcast produced here in Athens, Georgia at the state-of-the-art Kindercore vinyl pressing facility. On this episode, Cash sits down with drummer Lemuel Hayes backstage at the Georgia Theater. Lemuel plays drums on the brand new album from Cindy Wilson on the Kill Rockstars label. They're getting ready to hit Europe for a series of dates, followed up by a run through the American Midwest. Topics of conversation include, but are not limited to, a good-natured heads-up on the realities of touring China, getting off the disabled list and returning to rock after an egregious injury, and two shockingly decent meatwad impressions. Enjoy! Well, anyway, this is uh, Welcome to Load In, Load Out. I'm Cash Carter. We've got Lemuel Hayes here with us. I'm going to call you Lemmy throughout the, the that's podcast, okay. if that's okay. You know, uh, at Hilo, I realized the other night that uh, the cashier that it says on the bar is Lemmy K. Ah. Which is pretty baller. Ah. You know, got to give it up. Oh, all right. You know, I, I took his essence. I, I I haven't started drinking Jack and Cokes and doing cocaine off hookers, but I mean, I guess I'll get there. I mean, that's a, that's where we all aspire to end up being, right? <laughs> I mean, that's why we got into this industry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I they're, they're, the list of bands you've played with is extensive. It's dumb. So I'm not even going to attempt to list them all. You shouldn't. So you go ahead. Oh yeah, and also, um, as Bill just reminded me, we're in the Georgia Theater right now, uh, backstage in the green room while bands are playing. If you hear anything in the background, and there's hookers with blow behind us. So if there's just screaming and stuff, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. That's true. Although I thought the screen back there was all, all the uh, all the other musicians who are angry that they couldn't be in here with us. Anyway, <laughs> list of bands that uh, that uh, it's lengthy. Yeah, well, give us a few. Uh, we still talk about the bands. Ba- yeah. So not okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm here tonight playing with Cindy Wilson yep. for the Athfest uh, show at the Georgia Theater. Uh, also, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun and weird because Sunday uh, we're playing playing with Cindy in Nashville, which is where I live now. And uh, Olivia Jean is opening, who I've also played for. Um, <laughs> some others, let's see, in Athens, I've played I play with Pacific UV actually still, even though that's kind of a, a it's in hibernation or whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, played with Monahan, who also plays with Cindy. Um, we'll go through some Athens lists. Ruby the Rabbit Foot, uh, Electrophoria. White Violet, um, The Viking Progress, subbed with a number of other bands randomly here and there in yeah. town. And then uh, I've played on some records that I didn't ever perform live, like um, the, uh, shit, what do you call that project? I don't remember. <laughs> it's weird. That's like a weird thing in the in the session world, man. You play on something and it's like a guy and you just think it's going to be his name because no one ever tells you anything differently. Right. And then the record comes out and they're like, Really like the thing Lemuel Hayes were playing on this. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I remember the song. This was called something else as a project when we did it. That's cool. Um, and then in Nashville, I mean, Nashville's a whole other can of worms because no one really has a set band until you get to, like, super pro level. Right. So, uh, but there, I played with Michaela Ann, J.P. Harris, who I love to death, uh, Buck and Stuff, which is my Buck Owens tribute band with Adam Kurtz and Cameron Karras. Uh Zach Schmidt, a triple run. I'm gonna forget a lot. This is a long list. 
Yeah, I'm just going to give up. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Needless to say, you're a drummer. Yeah, yeah. I Anyone who knows anything about the, the world of musicians, if there's someone who's been in that many bands, they're typically a drummer. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I aspired to be a drum slut. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, usually if I have a friend who's in like 10 bands at once, it's typically a drummer. It's true. It's true. That are, in Nashville, it tends to be a bass player. Really? Because there are just not enough bass players that aren't knobs. That's what I felt about drummers is there's a lot of drummers out there, but there's not many that are like, either they're too good, and what I mean by that is they're going to try to show off too much yeah, yeah. and not play what they're supposed to play, or they're not good enough. True. I you agree. Know, it's hard to find a drummer that's right there in the middle that doesn't overplay, but is good enough to play whatever you need them to play. Agreed. Agreed. It's yeah. very, very difficult thing to find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who have you been touring with the most? Uh, like in my life or in a time recent I guess time recently time? in your life or whatever uh, uh, let's see I guess the most road time probably happened has happened with JP in the past few years White Violet had a pretty decent uh, stint of road dates uh, JP though I played with he was the first guy the first tour I took after I broke my arm and was back in action and I toured with him for pretty much a, almost exactly a year um, I went to Europe with him. I went to like pretty much anywhere from Kansas City, that line and east. Mm-hmm. I went with him. Did Newport Folk Festival, which was awesome. He took me on a lot of really really rad shit, and I had a great time. How'd you break your arm? Uh, I got street justice from jaywalking. Mm. Uh, I ran across Fifth Street downtown in Nashville and tripped, and it was go face first into a chain link fence because of where I was, or just fall and I felt like I could fall and not break anything and I was fucking wrong. How long, how long were you out for that? Um, well, I played, I did technically play three gigs when my arm was in a condition that Jubon I should Jovi it. One hand. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Def Leppard. Excuse me, Def Leppard. Ah, yes, sorry. But you know, he, interestingly, <laughs> it's funny because you kind of like you think that he played the snare with his hand, but he doesn't. He plays the snare drum with his left mm-hmm. foot, which is insane. Yeah. And just bananas. But he, has a, he had a lot of pedals for the different drums totally, and stuff, right? Totally. And, you know, the interesting thing about, in his case, uh, when you lose an appendage, the thing that your body never does, I learned this from the DW rep back in the day, who is now the Zildjian rep for the Southeast in terms of, like, stores and stuff, because he lost his leg in a motorcycle accident. He's like, you, your body never regains the equilibrium because it thinks that your prosthesis weighs the same thing as your normal leg and it doesn't it weighs like a tenth of it so you just fall so he's like rick allen will just fall getting on the riser or doing other stuff like i just randomly fall and it's weird just because you think that you weigh a certain amount yeah you don't you're not able to your body isn't able to adjust for the balance of that It, it thinks that your body's symmetrical still so when they start doing what we've been talking about uh um Blade Runner a lot of they start making parts for us they need to take weight into account uh, yeah yeah uh-huh. which is uh, I mean we can also get into Deus Ex if we really want to do some of that because <laughs> I mean they, there's a lot of uh, I, you know man though I'm, I'm going to finish the, the arm break story and we're gonna, then I'm going to go down this path so uh, but I was out I took three gigs I played my friend's wedding who's actually in Athens I met him in Athens Matt Whitaker uh, I played with him. He was in Young Benjamin, and I played on his record. But uh, I had agreed to play. That was my wedding gift to him, mm-hmm. is we agreed to do, like, a really discounted rate to play his wedding. And it was a great time, and I'm really glad that I did it. 
but I basically bought like a wrist brace that you would wear if you were rollerblading and roller skating, and I just gaff taped it to my arm because I could squeeze my hand. I just couldn't hold my wrist straight because mm-hmm. I had no up like uh, your upper forearm. I had no muscle mass and no ability to control it. So I just held it and just meat handled it, which was cool until we started playing like Duran Duran and, and shit like that. But um, the other gig I did was uh, my friend John Gladwin, uh, who I met here but lives in Atlanta now. I played his EP release, which I did not do justice to because this really great session player, Evan Hutchings out of Nashville that John grew up with, played on it. And I was like, cool, I can't, I can't play that fucking part right now, so I'm just not going to play it. Uh, but that was fun, and uh, I played. It was the gig with Olivia Jean, actually. I we opened for Pixies in Indianapolis. Wow! But her stuff is kind of like mid-tempo kind of rock, and it was just banging out like meat hand and some eighth notes with a wrist brace. And also, it's like I'm opening for Pixies. I'm right. gonna I'm gonna take this. Gig. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out <laughs> what I have to do to play this. Yeah. So I did that. Was but, this uh, uh, post Kim deal? Pixies. Yes. It, well, they had gotten back together, and then Kim pounced, so right. it was pause on bass. Okay. Um, and she was a fucking sweetheart. Yeah. She's so nice and so European, like yeah. smoking yeah. and drinking wine outside the venue before the show. <laughs> it's like, all right, whatever, dude. Yeah. Um, and Breeders are probably one of my very favorite bands of all time. Oh, yeah, for a good reason, because they still crush it. Yeah. But uh, I was out from January 19th of 2015. I was in the middle of recording a record. I had We did Saturday, Sunday was off, and then Monday we were going to be back at it. So I'm on half that record. <laughs> uh, and I broke, I broke it, and then I had the surgery on the 26th. And I couldn't lift my wrist until probably like July 16th. So then I did physical therapy. Wow. I had a great physical therapist. She was cool. She uh, she was like, yeah, you should definitely start playing. Don't overdo it. You know, like as soon as your arm starts to feel really tired, stop. And that, I mean, that honestly worked. I just would play so like really simple stuff day in, day out. But um, while that was all going on, I had, you know, I had uh, maybe a year and prior to that, played Deus Ex all the way through like three times. And I really thought a lot about like, man, I would really go. I could really go for a, a bionic arm right now. That'd be, <laughs> yeah. pretty, that'd be pretty tight. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about like the um, what do they call it? like posthumanism or something. Like transhumanism. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how scary that is. I'm like, no, dude, bring it on. I'm all. I'm ready for it. I'm all for it. Well, so I'm gonna get real heady because it's this is like a this is also a Blade Runner argument or like kind of headspace specifically. So the character you play in De- in Deus Ex. Human Revolution, which is that the one that came out and that I had played, he's literally the only dude on Earth that has these augmentations that he, that he didn't ask for. He was the security head of security at this company that developed them, and everyone else that saw the attackers died except him. And the only way to keep him alive was to put those parts in him. So he like lives. The whole thing focuses on that kind of that he's on the blade there that he doesn't he has them but he didn't choose them right so people try to give him a bunch of shit in the thing and they don't understand that he really had literally had no choice he was like thrown through a fucking wall or blown through what you know whatever video game shit but (laughs) it was a really interesting point and then it's gotten way too poignant because there's also this whole thing about the illuminati and like 
uh, ulterior controls, which at the time I kind of was like, oh man, this is really, that part's really out there. And then the, this Russia shit has really blown that into a really <laughs> weird space. And now this game feels way too poignant. <laughs> which it did, you know, strangely though, those dudes deserve credit because I had just done the China, This I did a two-week tour of China mm-hmm. with Pacific EV, which is a very daunting tour. If you're ever going to tour China as an independent band, I please I will my my website is Lemuel Hayes. Shoot me an email because I swear to God you need to talk to me first because it is weird and there is shit that you need to know if you've never. Let's been go there. into that. So nothing runs on time except for high speed rail, but high speed rail is the most expensive way to travel. Right. But like I mean I I didn't take an interior flight of in, within China that was delayed by l- like an hour and a half minimum. Which that you're like, oh, that's not that's not a huge thing, but I also had seven hour delays. And the problem with this is that, let's say you you're trying to book this tour and you're trying to make it profitable, so you're probably stacking like Tuesday. We stacked Tuesday to Saturday we'd play. Well, that means your flight, let's say, is four hours. You've allotted two hours leeway. Your flight gets delayed by four. Now that's eaten into your sound check time or your load in sound check like right. fuck off time in that town. So what would really commonly happen, like all, with no shit, like almost every day, is we would, whatever our transport was, I would get there, we'd immediately have to, there would be backline, I'd have to like set it up, we'd sound check, and they'd be like, okay, you have 30 minutes and then you play. I haven't eaten since breakfast. Right. <clears throat> so then it's like, okay, there's nowhere that I can, they don't, it, the fast food thing there, like you can do, but it's also the most expensive thing, and it's the fastest thing. Besides walking into a Seven Eleven and just buying like fucking Oreos and, right. and iced coffee, which is what I did, and probably the only reason I didn't honestly get like really sick from having just no, because it was also we would play ninety minutes minimum each right. night, nonstop, and it's a rock show. So I was gone. The the China part was two weeks total. It was three weeks. And I came back, and I had lost 15 pounds. And I mean, I at the time, I'm heavier now than I was then. And if I lost 15 pounds now, I would be pretty gaunt. Then I was probably 170, and I lost 15 pounds. So I came back at 155, and it was just like my my face was pretty sunken, and it was yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just felt like Christian Bale. This week, we'd like to shine a little light and love on You Lead Athens. You Lead Athens is a group of un- and underdocumented leaders in Athens, Georgia, with the goal of equal access to higher education for students of immigrant families who are in or have recently graduated from high school. You Lead students, along with public school, university, and community mentors and allies, work towards this goal by one, studying for college entrance exams, two, applying to colleges and scholarships that will accept students of varying documentation status, and three, finding financial support for attending institutions of higher education. To learn more about them and their mission, go to youleadathens.org. That's the letter U, leadathens.org. We now return you to our regularly scheduled program. Funny story about that. You know, go ahead with that one. So I played this, (laughs) one of the weirdest shows I've ever played. It was in, I think it was Terre Haute, Indiana. It was either Terre Haute or Bloomington, I can't remember. It was, I don't even remember the club name. I just remember we played. The owner of the club was super nice. We ended up staying with her. It was my. It was the night. It was May first, which is the night before my birthday, and there wasn't a show the next day, so I was celebrating that night. 
So I'm on stage breaking down the kit, and there's just a DJ after us. So I'm just trying to like break it down as fast as possible. I throw it in cases. I'm not paying attention to anyone. But I notice that there's this person standing at the front corner. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, we're going to see what this is about. I'm, you know, I'm a single man at this time. So I was like, yeah, let's do this, I guess. It's a girl. And I, I get about 10 feet away. It's not even a big stage. I mean, that's like half the distance. Right. And she's like, oh, you're not him. Which is always like a, okay, you, could you have said something more cryptic? <laughs> and she, I was like, who, who did you think I was? James Blunt. Okay, let's, let's walk, let's, let's break this down. I just played in what is essentially a dark wave band. Right. Playing drums. I, why the fuck would James Blunt be playing drums <laughs> in a dark wave band in Indiana? So I was like, you're right. I'm not him. <laughs> I mean, I could. I, I thought about using them, like being like, "But you're beautiful," and then you know, eating a bullet. But uh, <laughs> anyway, then later that night, I got a an even another weird one where this guy was like, he found he he, he liked us and he was you know it's he was, we were just all being friendly and we're clearly drinking, and uh, he was like. Yeah, let's get let's do shots, birthday shots. And then we got him, and he's like, you know, you kind of look like Christian Bale. And I was like, I don't, but thanks. <laughs> there you go. No, yeah. I, I, I had then my only option that night because I was so fucking wasted. I was the last out of the van, and the last room left in this woman's house were her like ten year old daughters, and the whole room was pink, and that was the only <laughs> bed. And I just like felt too. I was like, I'm not fucking sleeping in a ten year old's bed as drunk as I am. That just, that's like too yeah. fucked up. Too perverse. So I just like rolled out my sleeping bag and slept on the floor. The gentleman's choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I, you know what you were saying about it in China. It was similar when we were in Japan like we had a vegan who was on tour with us Chad Matheny who does Emperor X now but he was in my old band the cadets and trying to tour as a vegan in yeah. Japan it might be okay now this is 2001 it's probably still pretty fucking hard and so like he came back he had lost like 20 pounds yeah but what you were saying about the train being on time is bullet train was like on time to the point oh, where yeah. I think one of the the ways that people would off themselves that would bring most oh, dishonor to their family was, would be to jump on a bullet train because it would delay the train. And if it delayed the train, then the family was charged money. Right. But um, they were always like spot on time. Yeah. On time, on time. And we on took time. a slow train from Chengdu, which honestly, Chengdu was. It's a weird city, mm-hmm. but it was. I had the best time there and in. Uh. uh Shenzhen, uh, shit. Shenzhen. Which is Hong Kong Part 2, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the sequel. It really, I mean, it is. It's, it's just on the other side of the water, and it's China. Right. But it's it looks, every, it feels like Hong Kong because there's so many expatriates, British expatriates. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Chengdu, we took a slow train. Do they not have, like, because when we went to Japan, we were warned ahead of time that we could get a rail pass that saying we were tourists. And it cost us one fee up front, and we could use that pass for the entire month. Oh, we just did this because... So Chengdu is really far west. Mm-hmm. Uh, west. It's pretty close. It's it's the closest large, really large city to the Himalayas. Okay. So, like, the world's largest building, which in terms of square footage, is in Chengdu. It's a huge, like... 
an absurd number of the Fortune 500 companies are in Chengdu, which is kind of interesting. But I had a great, we had a great show. We played a small bar, literally called Little Bar, but it was sold out. It was awesome. I met, there was like these, this huge group of women and they were all, all of them had at least master's degrees. It was like six or seven. It was crazy. And one was a, a, a biomedical engineer. One was this he uh, like was the Chengdu newscaster basically. She had a master's in journalism from a British, uh, uh, British school. It was I mean it was like really cool. Met a lot of cool people, and uh, but then we took a slow train, which that was some Blade Runner shit, because it's just fog the whole time at night, and then we passed this nuclear power plant, and so you just start to see this glow of all the lights at the facility. And then you can see the cooling towers in the very back, very dimly, and they're just like flashing with their red lights for mm-hmm. the planes. That was pretty. That was pretty wild. But start uh, piping Vangelis music into the car. <laughs> I would have, except my phone was dead. And here's the thing about that train ride, is that it was already supposed to be really long, like 20 hours. It turned out to be 32 hours. Mm. And I didn't pack any food because that's also complicated in China, right. at least for me at the time. Like. Um, and it's because you only eat the young. Yeah, and I mean, you can't really you know, pack the young when you get on a train. I mean, you can, but you got to make sure it's like, well, how many do I need? Do I need right. one? Do I need two? Do I need to go with the carry-on size bag? Or right. Can I like can a I backpack? Have... Like, you know, carry. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, we na- <laughs> we actually named our. That's funny because now I'm thinking about like we named our merch bags. Because they were all identical suitcases, and we just had one, two, three, four, but no one could remember what was in one or two. So I gave them very different names. So one was Kenny Rogers, one was Meatwad. Uh, I don't remember the other two though, because Kenny Rogers and Meatwad lasted the longest, so mm-hmm. they stayed with us. The other two like broke almost immediately. I actually do a pretty good Meatwad, I think. Let's hear it. Let's see. Hold on, I gotta do it like. Oh, my little Meatwad. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm a little coming home wearing this. I'll do a pretty good one, but it's hard because yeah. the bubble. I you think got, it was a little bit better. You gotta you gotta embrace the bubble, but it can't define it in the <laughs> back of your throat. Right. It's because like whiskey. When he says whiskey, that's the hard. I can't say it. Well, it's just like you can do the same when you do the really deep voice. It's like swallowing this kind of yeah. thing in the back of your throat, where it's like. You can get really deep if you do it. But it's like the same kind of thing yeah. where you have to have this, like, what you said, like a bubble in the back of your throat. Yeah. I, you know, if we're going to tie this to drums, it's like when you have a really big drum, mm-hmm. of course it sounds very clean and low. Right. And you can make, like, a 14-inch drum sound pretty low, but it has that kind of, it almost gets that basketball, mm-hmm. that, like, honkiness mm-hmm. in a certain section. I don't know. I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm gonna tie that to drums because yeah. you know that's how I live my life. <laughs> uh, well, what What were some of the other things uh, in China that you would warn someone uh, about? I, it's It's mostly just like that. the The smog shit is for real, man. Like oh yeah, we the it was weird because day one was Beijing and they had record lows. So I, I, I it's like the lowest it had ever been, which is in ten years or something, which is still like Salt Lake City levels, which is one of the most smog ridden cities in the U.S. Just because it's in a bowl, right? Um, <clears throat> but then we go to Chengdu, second day in Chengdu, it's, it's like record high and it looks like there's a fire somewhere in the city all day because there's just like this haze that lives and you can't see very far. It's right. fucked up. Isn't it crazy that they are now taking climate change seriously and changing all of that? And now <laughs> we're like 
Climate change, fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah, it's like we forgot that the fucking... Right, now China... We forgot and, when the, the water caught on fire in Cleveland, you no, know, like less than 50 years ago. Right, now China is better about about the environment than I we mean, are. I mean, they got some catching up to do, though. It was, I mean... Well, they have better better policies in place than we do now. Correct, but they do, I will also say, like, they, they because they fucking have to. Right. Because it's, it's like, it's crazy. It's it looks you can have what should be a perfect day and it will in a city and it just looks like it's fucking overcast. It's it's like it's insane. Uh, that part is for sure. It's like the uh, the bottom floor in uh, Fifth Element. Yes. Yes. When you go down far enough, you get into the fog and yeah. the smog. Yeah. We're gonna relate everything to science fiction that, on this. That's on how this we. That's episode. how I do. Yeah. That's how I do. Um, you excited about um, what's the new one that Luke Besson's putting out? Valerian. Valerian. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I. I somewhat. I'm not. I don't know a ton about it. I'll be honest. Like I have been so busy the past two or three months that I. I, I also like Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. I was talking about that with someone today, and they clearly knew a ton, and I knew like I saw the little teaser trailer. The only thing that makes me really want to see it is I love John Spencer Blues Explosion. Yeah. And apparently, this movie was written around a John Spencer yeah, Blues Explosion heard, song. Yeah. So I'm like, all right. So they wrote a movie around John. They wrote it around Bell Bottoms. Apparently, the song Bell Bottoms. Oh, right on. So I'm like, all right. That's enough for me, to make me go see it. Because I'm a huge John Spencer yeah. Blues Explosion fan. I'll go with you to that one. Yeah. I love Edgar Wright. Oh. But I guess I and I I would say this is like a final follow up to to the China thing. Is I don't want to sound like uh, I don't want to sound like a klaxon about it. It's just that it's like it's a pretty different world. Oh yeah. And in terms of touring, that's not a thing that a lot of American bands do. So there's not a ton of info about it. I feel like, and that's all because I don't want I don't want other people to have to deal with the shit that I dealt with. It was it was fucking dumb. Yeah, well, I mean, we did uh, Japan in 2001, and it's totally different. But for example, we didn't have a car, mm-hmm. so we had to carry all of our boxes on the bullet train everywhere yeah. we went. Yeah. And like whenever we if the bullet train if the venue didn't happen to be close to a stop, we're walking for five miles with our boxes basically on our backs. Like yeah. I couldn't take my drums, so you know we're using right, our drums right. at the clubs, yeah, yeah. and they were all total pieces of shit drum sets. See, but. and that's what I expected in China, and I almost there were only like one real piece of shit kit, and it was in a weird college town. That it turns out it was finals week when we were there, so no one came to that show. <laughs> but uh, man, that town—that was a weird town. I don't remember which city that was, but I weird remember college being towns weird. over there are really weird. Yeah. Because we went to um, Okayama in Japan, which is a weird little college town. That was our best show, but it was going to a college town in a different country is really mm-hmm. a bizarre. Yeah. Experience. It's pretty strange. Yeah, I have some. I have a photograph on my wall where like everyone was riding around. They had these these umbrellas that attached to their bikes. Mm-hmm. So everyone was riding a, a bike with an umbrella on the top. It was that's, just really. That's some pretty Mary Poppins. Shit yeah, right like I have that image in my head for the rest of my life, where everyone in in this Japanese town is just riding around. It looked like some kind of weird, you know, either old movie, like old like silent oh, yeah. movie, or like. Sure. Our our commercial for like one of those TVs or something like the bouncy ball commercial. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, I guess to relate this back and finish tie, really finish tying in the, the Deus Ex part is he got the character has to go to China in one part mm-hmm. and there's a part where you walk through this the first time you walk through the Chinese like like just streets. There's fucking there's for real at night. There's just Chinese barbecue everywhere everywhere there's mm-hmm. carts that weren't there when you went into the club you come out and there's like 10 <laughs> and that was the only reason that's honestly the where i ate most of my food 
I've heard it's really good oh, street food so, though. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. It's because it's fresh. It's completely fresh. They, they you say I want this, you just point at it. They put it in a pan, and that's honestly the only way you can eat vegetables because unless you're gonna drink the water and just say I'm gonna get myself, the, I'm gonna get that bacteria in my body <laughs> because it. That's I mean it's the same thing if they came to the U S. It's not that it's dirty. It's just that it's totally different bacteria. Right. So. I, that was the way I could get my vegetables. So I would just go through and pick every vegetable that like anything green, and then I would normally get some weird like seafood if I was mm-hmm. close to the water. And uh, yeah, it, that was rad. And I had some really magical meals that I think about pretty regularly. I still crave takoyaki that I can't get here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how I I had this huge, huge like lasagna dish of sautéed vegetables and like cashews and nuts and shit <laughs> with a whole fish grilled and just set on top of it. It was amazing. You, you're sitting there at the table like, bring me my mead. Well, I am the king for the night. Actually, what happened was Suni and I were the only ones in the restaurant and we tried to order two and the woman was like, no. And we didn't understand. And then so she was just like, okay. That's the only English word she knew. She just shook her head when we tried to do two. Mm-hmm. She just said, okay, and walked away. No one spoke English. So they brought, before the food, we didn't order this, they just brought out a, a fucking heap of French fries. Maybe one of the largest orders of French fries I've ever been around. And it, and it had ham medallions just randomly on it. Not in it, just on top. And uh, mayonnaise. Because that's the thing that European, like a lot of the Europeans do with fries. So well, I just do that got, with fries. Okay, because you're a monster. <laughs> and and I was just like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to go with it. And then we paid. And it was this place that on on the map that we looked at, I think it was maybe, I don't know if it was Google Maps or whatever, but it was. Uh, it said it was a sushi place, which is the reason we went. It mm-hmm. clearly wasn't, but it was still good. Well, I went to an Italian restaurant in Japan. <laughs> If you want, you want to talk about advice for people touring in other countries, don't go to an Italian restaurant in Japan. I can't imagine why. Yeah. to any Japanese people out there but they didn't the only place you could get decent cheese in Japan was at McDonald's oh I could see that but like it wasn't cheese I don't know what it it wasn't even like American fake cheese I don't know what it was it was like orange plastic yeah I mean I made the mistake of ordering (coughs) uh, pizza in Taipei the first time we went there and that was not great (laughs) but I was also it was like that was weird because we were being interviewed by this magazine and 
the 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 issue they gave us to show like kind of be like oh this is what it's going to be like it had lady gaga on the cover and oh. i was like okay let me tell you one of these things is not like the <laughs> other which then became the same thing when we went to this uh record store and they're like live in taipei this month and it's like jason mraz radiohead <laughs> lady gaga pacific uv well were, were you guys big over there yeah yeah it was insane really dude we, so we were in the re, the record store because they were really good friends with the label that brought us over and they just wanted us to like see it and then we signed the little like pacific uv cd divider mm-hmm. there then and like we did that and it was it was game on people there was a, there were multiple people that said i already own these but i am buying them again so you can sign them because i don't have them on me and they bought every record that was that we that's ever been released under Pacific TV, which was insane, yeah. and that happened. And then the next day, we did the show, and they're like, "Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna do a lottery. You're gonna walk out. We're gonna like walk out on stage. We're gonna pull out these numbers, and those people are gonna get to like get a whole like prize pack and stuff, which is cool. So there was one for each band member, mm-hmm. effectively. So then they wanted us to wear the number." when we went back on stage from the encore, which is fine. We did that, and I thought that that would be the only people we really had to deal with. And we walked outside, and there was a, like, a fucking insane line. I signed shit for an hour and a half. Really? It was fucking dumb. It was like, it's, it's, it is the most, and then I came back to Athens, that was the last show of that run, (laughs) and I paid, I played to ten people at Go. Right, right. And I was like, yes. Yeah, back home. This is what I do it for. Uh, <laughs> the glory. But it was also interesting because like none of them tell you their real name. They all have like Inca English mm-hmm. names. Yep. And I remember my favorite one was like this girl, young, like small, really kind of mousy, frail, thin girl. And she was, I was like, hey, what's your name? Because I was trying to personalize all these. And she's like, acid. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, sick. <laughs> and then I just signed it and moved on. <laughs> But I mean, like, cause I don't know, you know, they don't. Uh, it, it's it's weird. I, you know, my name was really hard. Oh, I'm sure. It, there was no way. They probably me. never heard Lemuel. Oh no! And then I tried to go by Lemmy, and that made it worse. So <laughs> I would just would do this, and they were like L, and I was like, boom. Let's, yeah. let's go with that. They could handle that. But our handler there was cool. He he went to school in uh, Canada, so his English was fucking amazing. And he was rad. Jack. You still talk to him? I do. I'm Facebook friends with him. He, although he stopped using it a lot because of the whole like, he's he's very politically oriented, and there's been a lot of like politics shits going on mm-hmm. in Taiwan. But uh, yeah, because he knows. Uh, and there's Andy Baker. Yeah. That lived here forever. Mm-hmm. Um, we we went to his studio there, and now he's got a really nice studio. I've seen now. some of the gear going into that. Yeah, studio. I helped him I helped him advised him on buying some drum sets cuz he was just buying a bunch of stuff and putting it on a boat and taking mm-hmm. it over there. So like, yeah, you're going to buy a bottom kit, buy it in the US, dude. Yeah. So we we looked at a few and he'd send them to me and that was really fun and like super nice to help cuz man, he was great over there. He took us around and showed us everything and I did have a really awesome, uncomfortable massage there because, <laughs> so he, they all decided we should all go get Thai massages, which if you've never had a Thai massage, it's the most forceful massage that anyone really does. So it's not really fun. It's more painful. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna like really, if you got like a knot, it's gonna break that shit up. 
It's that's what it's gonna do. They use their elbows to press into stuff. I mean, it's not like oh, long, slow movements of the sweetest massage. It's not that. So we're like on the way there, and I'm and I, you know, the me, the person that I am, just a little bit neurotic. Like, all right, do I need to know any like Mandarin or something, man? Do I to like do this? What what do I what? And he's like, no, no, we'll all be in a room together, man. And that was the plan, except that to start, what they do is they wash your feet in this basin, mm-hmm. but they only have three. And so I was like, You were the odd man out. So then they did, just didn't take me to that room. They took me to a separate room by myself, and they just open it, and I'm like, oh, fuck, no one's in there. <laughs> and then they close it, and then someone opens it and drops these like clothes that I'm supposed to change into, which is already super weird. And it's a two-hour massage. Because I thought we were all going to be together, and it was right. like, you were going to talk shit, and you know. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Andy was going to riff, and it was going to be fun. Right. And Someone was going to pass gas, and everyone's going to crack up. Yeah, so the woman comes in to do the massage, and she turns on the television, and I'm just like, whatever, man. I'm just going to watch this and zone, try to zone out of this, because it's I've never had a massage at all, of right. any kind. And... Uh, she keeps trying to talk to me and I'm just like uh, I don't I don't know I don't know what you're saying I'm sorry and I do that probably 10 times yeah. and then she just finally stops and then uh, I that you know after the silence happens it's like okay cool the only sound is the television and I realize that this show I mean I, this is 2012 so I mean I'm I'm five years younger than and she's clearly older than I am. And the TV show is an older woman seducing a younger man. <laughs> so she's preparing you for and what's I'm about like, to happen. Oh no, man, <laughs> let's not do this, dude. And then it's about that time that she starts like on my legs. Which honestly, the the it got pretty rad towards the end where she did like the elbow super t- intense massage thing on my shin. And as a drummer. Yeah. Man, that is a tight part that is oh, super yeah. hard and it hurts so good. But yeah, the rest of that was like super uncomfortable cuz then it then like when it's over, I don't I don't know that it's over. Right. I have no idea what's happening. She's kind of staring at you. No, she just leaves <laughs> and closes the door and I'm like, "All right." And I I don't have my watch. So I have no idea how much time's passed. You're like, I might be in here for the rest of my yeah. life. <laughs> I'm going I'm to die here. And then it fit, you know, it fit. It was a clever ruse for them to fire you from the band and you just didn't know it. Yeah. yeah. And then, then the door slides open and there's Andy's face and he's like, is it open? And I was like, I guess it's done. And he was like, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and, let's, do uh, a, let's do a little bit real quick before we run out of time uh, about Cindy. Like, what sure. it's like to play on that project. What sure. you got cooking tonight. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that was entertaining. But uh, yeah, so Cindy, brief synopsis with me as I met Ryan Monahan through a Craigslist ad in like <laughs> 2007 or eight, and we were playing. I was playing in his solo or his like solo music, and then they ha- and he had this guy that was playing drums in this Beatles cover band, and at the time that guy was working merch for widespread. And then widespread went back on the road, and so they were getting these gigs, and they needed a guy, and he asked me if I'd do it. So I learned all these Beatles songs, and they only we only did everything up through Revolver at that time. And uh, one day, this we get this really bizarre email. It's not it's not bizarre. It's just kind of lacking a lot of the standard info whenever someone's asking for a quote. 
it ended up being Cindy's husband hired, mm-hmm. wanting to hire us because they wanted to hire a Beatles cover band because their son loved the Beatles, but they wanted to be from Athens if possible. And we were the only one at the time, at least that was affordable because we were noobs. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it it was a long, crazy day for a lot of reasons unrelated to anything regarding Cindy, but it was uh, they man they. They really liked us. They thought we were great. And we came back and played the Halloween party that year, which is really where this story starts. Because like a week before she emailed us, or Keith, her husband, emailed us and was like, hey, she'd like to do a song. She wants to do I Put a Spell on You, the Screaming Jay Hawkins version. Mm-hmm. If you guys want to learn it, she'll sing it with you at the party. And I was like, okay, done. <laughs> so we learned it. It was rad. And then, you know, what happened is like people saw us at that party do that. So then they asked her to do the REM 30th party that wasn't really affiliated with REM, but uh, it was a benefit for the Athens Food Bank. Mm-hmm. So they asked her to do that, and everybody else played only REM songs. They only played like three, and they gave her an hour. So we played three or four REM songs, and then just whatever stuff she wanted to play. So it was all this psychedelia, 60s psychedelia. And then someone saw that. And they wanted to hire us to play the opening of the Salvador Dali exhibit at the High Museum because we played all this 60s psychedelia. And so we did, and that was a... With Cindy. With Cindy. And it was a super rad gig. Um, And then it kind of, like, went away for a minute. Bees were really busy, you know, all that, and that's fine. And then uh, I guess the next gig was Keith, her husband, was helping put together this uh, Athrox Mm-hmm. the like organization yeah. that's preserving about preserving art and music in Athens uh, they were having a fundraiser and that was I guess like four or five years ago and we played here at the theater mm-hmm. and we did a bunch of songs and that really lit the fire that Cindy was like I want to work on some solo material and then shortly after that we got hired to do this gig at Chastain Amphitheater uh, which was really magical um and then this started happening, like this solo project, and it's been really cool. She wanted it to be collaborative. That was her main thrust. So Ryan was the primary guy that worked with her on songwriting. I was there to play drums, obviously, um, and I'm joined on drums by, she really wanted Sterling Campbell from the B-52s, and also many, many other acts, such as David Bowie, Duran Duran, you know, just small fries no one's ever heard of. Um, so, we're on drums, and then Suni and Ryan, and we had some guests, uh, John, uh, Kieran Fernandez. Mm-hmm. He's on a lot of stuff. Like he played multiple instruments on a couple songs. Uh, Slade Adams played strings on everything, um, and yeah, it's it was a long process. It was about two years in the studio, like you know, on and off between stuff. And uh, it's the only record that I'm on with with and without a broken arm. I recorded. Nice. I recorded stuff. Um, I just do it in pieces, and we basically like quantize whatever needed to be quantized for that stuff, or line up any particular thing, which is was really fun to like know that someone believed in it enough that like you could have gotten obviously you could have gotten somebody else right. but to keep to keep me on. Yeah, but you know honestly, what makes this album and all of this so great, and what makes me so excited about her album and everything she's doing right now is that. She didn't go that route. It would be really easy to rehash True. the past. True. And to get like a bunch of people that are, you know, literally just hired guns. Yeah. And you guys obviously aren't just hired guns. You guys are the band. And she put together 
I can't think of a better band for her to be to like of everybody who's included. And she does this thing that, and I've said it to many people when I'm trying to describe how it is. I'm like, if I didn't know it was Cindy Wilson, I never heard it before. Didn't know who Cindy Wilson was. Nothing. If I heard this album, I would love this album. Either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah, which and is so it's so strange that, and she took this chance and it worked. Yeah, I mean that was she definitely that was the thing is she did not want it to sound derivative. She wanted to do something totally different. And we all wanted that. I mean, we're obviously all on board to do something cool. And it it was a little bit of throwing paint at the wall, you know, to see what stuck initially. And uh, we all got forced, you know, we all pulled. It was definitely, it felt, you get that band thing where everybody gets mm-hmm. pulled a little bit out of their element because you got all this stuff. So she, I mean, because with the B-52, she still sings pretty hard, you know. Like, it's a, it's a powerful band. And right. everybody's singing. And so in this, there's a lot of very very soft almost mm-hmm. whisper singing and she admitted that was something she had to work on and that's i mean that's cool like you yeah. you've been doing music professionally for 40 years yeah not only doing music but one of the biggest bands ever yeah i mean just and to be like oh yeah i had to i had to completely work on something else yeah. but Would, i mean you know the real pros never stop learning yeah, yeah true agreed. absolutely agreed and that's she, why i stopped learning a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean it's been it's been a, a super great. Um, I I you know it's gonna the LP is gonna come out sometime later this year I think. Uh, there's no set date yet, but that's exciting. And I you know you, when you do this stuff, you don't ever really know if it's gonna go if it's gonna get traction. Like you know she's clearly doesn't need to do it in terms of a monetary thing. It's it's purely a personal pursuit. <clears throat> that turned into truly something that everybody wanted to really mm-hmm. put out, and you you know it, it, it you never know if it's gonna become that truly, and it's great to see it like released into the world and to also get the level of response that it has. Where I mean, I really appreciate that you really genuinely enjoy it. Yeah, having and I I'm knew. an asshole about music. <laughs> I really am like, about only about music. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Unpacking some issues. <laughs> right. episode. So, so the next step is that you have to get a Trixon set to play with Cindy Wilson. So, I, you, you want the honest answer? I haven't brought it because I know that she would be like, "You need to play." I want to yeah. see that every gig. Right. And I, I like, kind of have a, a, a. These are the. You have the conical ones though, right? I have the conical one. So what that means for everyone at home is the right, side so, that I hit is a different side size drum head than the other side of right. the drum. So the the thing here is that. Uh, Lemuel always sends me links to I'm obsessed with these kind of drum sets called Trixons and the bass drum is kind of egg shaped and they're really bizarre drums and so every time we see each other we talk about these Trixon drum sets yeah because he's I mean you know not everybody is like infatuated with them and I do a, I have a, a vintage drum cartridge company in Nashville so I, I do which is great them. so basically you just rent out vintage drums for people for sessions and things like that correct, correct. which and is an amazing idea yeah, I mean, I'm not. We're not alone in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Julian Dorio from the Wigs also does it with this guy Russ Pollard. And there's another guy. Uh, Russ Pollard. He uh, was. Uh, he played with Sebado for a little while. Maybe I'm assuming it's the same. Yeah. Same Russ guy. But uh, and then there's another good dude Nelson, that does it. Uh, he also Nelson Drum Company, and he also sells a ton of vintage drums. Mm-hmm. But he does his rental stuff is mostly uh, a lot of the stuff that he does in conjunction with this session guy and. Uh, session drum tech guy uh, Nate Stone or Nathan Stone out of Nashville 
but yeah, I mean, all this stuff, like, tied into Cindy, and she loves the psychedelia mm-hmm. part of it, and we, we had a lot of fun. I mean, we made all the videos for all the things, like... They filmed, we filmed a ton of stuff when we first started rehearsals uh, after we finished practicing, and that became the videos that we play during our set. And um, we finally added, with the Supernatural EP, those were songs that we just felt like kind of stood on their own. A lot of the songs that are on the initial EP, Sunrise, are going to be on, a few of them will be on the LP, but nothing from Supernatural will be on the LP. And um, But it does have the first song we recorded and wrote, with her which is ballistic um and that's in the set now tonight's gonna be the first time we play it which is pretty exciting well uh, speaking of which I, I think uh they've been going on for a while i don't want to keep you too long because you're about to have to go on and i'm sure yeah. you gotta do some jumping jacks and stuff to get ready jumping jacks lunges really gotta activate no. my core <laughs> gotta work on that you gotta you gotta tape a, a drumstick to your hand yeah yeah because yeah. i mean clearly i don't have enough i don't have enough drumsticks. <laughs> right. Well, anyway, thanks for ha- thanks for coming and hanging out with us for a little bit. Thanks for having being me. backstage and for at sure. the Georgia Theater. And thanks to the Georgia Theater for letting us do this as well. And for Richard Lloyd for vacating the room and letting us do this, <laughs> which was a very awkward thing to say. Like, you know, it's freaking Richard Hell. Like, hey, can we can you scoot out of there and we can use that space yeah. for a minute? Hey, hey, by the way, we're nobodies. Right. <laughs> but get the hell out. Anyway, thanks for thanks for being here. Oh yeah, thanks for having yeah. me. And thank you for listening to this episode of Load In, Load Out, a tour story podcast produced by me, Bill Fortenberry. Our associate producer is Alex Scarborough. Our hosts, as always, are Ryan Lewis and Cash Carter. Join us back here next time for all brand new episodes. And remember, be kind. <laughs>